Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're all aware, of course, of the Ebola crisis in West Africa. It's of worldwide concern. Uh, a couple of examples, uh, taxis filled with families worried they become infected with the Ebola uh, virus are currently crisscrossing Monrovia in Liberia in search of help, but uh, not one clinic can take them in for treatment. Sierra Leone is in the middle of a three-day nationwide lockdown as it struggles to contend with the Ebola virus. And uh, after a briefing from staff at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in Atlanta, President uh, Obama earlier this week announced a major increase in U.S. response to the Ebola outbreak in West Africa. U.S. is going to send troops, material to build field hospitals, uh, additional health care workers, community care kits, uh, and other things. Well, former Cache Valley resident Ann Norman is chairman of the board for Shine On Sierra Leone, a nonprofit organization which builds and rebuilds schools in war-torn Sierra Leone. She's been appointed to the presidential task force there and is involved in the education campaign for people in rural areas in Sierra Leone to combat Ebola. We're going to talk about Ebola, how it's affecting people in West Africa, including people Ann Norman knows and works with, and what can be done to confront the crisis. Ann Norman joins us from New York City, I believe. Welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for having me. We appreciate you taking the time. Of course, we're all uh, glued to the uh, the news on on this, and I'm sure uh, even more so you. You you have people yep. you you know in in Sierra Leone. Uh, first of all, you're I think you are a USU alum, and you worked at USU. I am. Yes, on both. Uh, so uh, that, those are your Utah bona fides. Uh, currently, I guess what based in what California. Yeah, I'm based in California. I spend a lot of time in New York, and I spend a lot of time in Africa. And I grew up in Paradise. Oh, you grew up I in Paradise. Okay, yeah. all right. Not many people can say that, by the way. It's always fun to. I know, and I riff, say it often. Riff on the I'm name, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you have your your own communications uh, company, Norman Communications. I do at this point, and you've worked with, uh, and maybe this. Tell me how you got into it, be involved in Sierra Leone. You've you've worked on. Blood Diamond, the movie, uh, Data Tell of Sierra Leone. How did you get involved in Sierra Leone? I, you know, just one of those serendipitous things. I lived in New York City. I was working on, you know, in investor relations on Wall Street. And um, a friend of a friend needed some help. And he was the executive director of, at the time, UN Capital Development Fund, which did the microfinance initiatives for Sub-Saharan Africa. And he did help raising institutional money, and I know how to do that. And we had lunch, and the next thing you know, I'm in Sierra Leone in a war zone. <laughs> wow. So before we get into the problems, uh, tell us about Sierra Leone in peacetime, Sierra Leone without a crisis, about the size of South Carolina, beautiful beaches. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. a, it's a great place. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. It is about the size of South Carolina. There's 17 different tribes in the country, and there are 17 different languages, so oftentimes communication can be challenging, but it also makes things interesting. The beaches, forget the Caribbean, when Ebola is over, everyone should go on vacation there, <laughs> because the beaches are just incredible. They're warm all year. People are very, very kind. Um, one of the, unfortunately, one of the benefits of a war, the, the aftermath of a war, it somehow brings the people that have survived this together, and they, they're very kind. Mm. And that's you, you see this in the people. They're very resilient. They're very kind. They take care of everyone. So you, you almost feel like, and they accept you very readily and very easily. We have much to learn from them on this. They're very accepting, and it's about, you know, you really do take, it really does take a village to raise a child there. And uh, it just seems like fate is piling on Sierra Leone. They, they just yeah. recently came out of an 11-year 
war brutal you know the, these maimings hacking off limbs it's just just horrible and now you get hit yeah. with an ebola uh outbreak yeah it's one of those things i try not to question god much but this is one big question i have why why because they have been doing so well they're on the up and up economically this this will devastate the region for de- for a decade this this will devastate it and we've been driving investment into the country that's been going well the infrastructure is been significantly rebuilt that there's still a lot left to go there but they've made leaps and bounds of progress the within the UN structure the security council in 2006 put together something called the peace building commission maybe it was 2007 and what they did is essentially make a how to end a war in a box and how to sustain peace in a box and the two countries that were the examples that they patterned everything after were Sierra Leone because from going from finishing a hot war into stability, it only took them less than five years. Botswana never has any problems, and they're middle income. So those two countries are very reflective of what you can do if you buckle down and actually put your mind to it. Cambodia is a comparative state to Sierra Leone. They, too, were an anarchic state, complete loss of government. Their war ended in 1992, and they're not even a quarter of the way to rebuilding and stability that Sierra Leone was in that much time. What what so, do you think? Uh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, what do you think it was about Sierra Leone that uh, they were able to accomplish this? The sheer will of these people. They just they 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 don't like war. They fought to get rid of the people that did, and they just they can buckle down like anyone I've ever seen and just do it. Hmm. Now they get hit with the the Ebola yeah. crisis, which is hitting, of course, a lot of West Africa, uh, Liberia, Guinea, and, and other places. Some in excess of two thousand people have died from this. It's a very high death rate. It's 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 very scary. It is. It's terrifying. And I've had friends die. The if you remember in the news um, several weeks ago, the chief doctor in Sierra Leone who passed away. He was a very good friend, and that's the first time it, it's hit home for me since it started but that was like this kills your friends yeah and these are smart friends and these aren't poor friends and they're not stupid friends and they're dead and it it did i actually got it for about five days i myself was in a state of i would i would call it depression because i mean i have the equivalent of family there and you don't know if they're going to be okay or not. I can't tell you that. I can't tell them. I can't tell anyone it's going to be fine because it's not. And fast forward about two weeks later, I'm, you know, I'm close to the government there. I still help out in many, much, you know, in, in many areas. And part of my job was, was in, after the war was to rebuild the communication sector. And we had to deliver all these messages around the country in order to rebuild these things that people did. The way to do PR in this country is we, we do it like this. You do it on the radio. You do it on television. Everybody can read. So you use newspapers. Nobody can read there. And outside of the urban center, the capital city, there's not television. And radios, maybe. So I literally would have to get in a car and drive around the country and stop and get the town crier who would hit a gong and say, someone from the president's office is here. She has something to tell us. And I'd have five interpreters lined up, and I'd tell them things. And I quickly realized they're not listening to me because I'm not dressed like them. And, you know, they have their, they, 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 they pour libations, they pray to the ancestors. And before all your public meetings, you're supposed to do these things. The ancestors are very important. Call them in. They'll help you. And then listen. And a little bit into it, I said, wait a second. I need to be like them. I'll do these things. I don't believe in those things, but it doesn't really matter because you need to be culturally sensitive to what 
they respond to. So that's what we did, and it worked. And all of a sudden, things started working. And so two weeks ago, the, I was contacted by the government, a very good friend who is one of the – he's the Minister of Lands and Environment, Mosa Tarawali. And this is a man that I've known for a very long time. He's never scared. He's never sad. He's just that really tough guy that I'll follow you because I know you know what to do and we can do it. And you just, he's inspiring and he's a leader. And he called me and he said, Ann, and he had fear in his voice for the first time ever in a war, in any of things, these things. He had real fear in his voice and it, it cracked and he was emotional and he said, this is bad. You have to help. You have to get that program going again because people listened when we did that and we have to get them to listen again. So I'm not there, but I spend a lot of sleepless nights now making sure that the system works and that we are getting the messages out and doing what we can to help people understand what they must do to not contract Ebola. Uh, so uh, you, you mentioned some of the difficulties out in the rural areas. What is the message the government's tr- trying to get out? I understand it, it, you know, efforts at this, at, at, at preventing the disease and, and getting help in are prevented by some cultural practices. Um, but what, what, what's the message? The message is, one, it's not the rudimentary stuff. It's not don't touch people, don't wash your hands. It's you have to leave your family and friends in the hospital. And we understand that you can't touch them and they need to be have contact. But the only way, if you love them, let them stay in the hospital and don't touch them and keep them there. And if you love them when they get sick, let them go to the hospital alone and don't touch them. And if you love them, then do the things that you have to do in the hospitals to let them live. And it's a harsh message because people are very attached to their families are very close. And, and like I said, it's a collective society. So everybody's accepted as family. If you live in a village, you're one of them. And they, I mean, they've done this for me. That's why I love the place so much. And it's very difficult to let someone, I mean, think about this, your child gets this disease and all of a sudden you can't touch your child. And I saw a picture recently of a baby. I, 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 this just makes me sick because I have an almost four year old Ramsey. And when you relate it to your own child, it was a nurse from America in a big white alien suit. And this little baby who was, you know, in diapers, and he's laying, and he has Ebola, and he's laying on this bed, just crying, reaching up his arms for this, for somebody to hold him. And this woman is changing his diaper, and she can't even touch him. No one can touch this baby. No one can hold it and love it. And you, you, you put that into your own you know, put your own self in those shoes and your children, I don't know that I wouldn't pick up my child either. And so it's it's a very difficult thing because we love our families. We want to protect them. But the way we have to protect them right now is to let them be isolated to get over this. And if you do, they stand a chance. And if you don't, we all stand a chance to die. Mm. And it's a harsh message. And that's why it's been so difficult for people to accept. But it's one that everyone has to get on board with. The other thing is it has to become a we. It's not I, it's not Anne, it's not me, it's not them. It's all of us. It's a we. And in, and it's a we here in Utah. If one person gets on a plane and goes to London and they don't know that they have this, there's a huge Sierra Leonean community in Maryland. There's a huge one in L.A. There's many people here in the United States. They come and go a lot. One person has to come and 10 days later this shows up and no one knew it. Imagine. So it's, it's real for all of us. 
And uh, symptoms, I, I understand, don't present themselves uh, until eight or ten days later, right. and yet all that while, or most of that time, without symptoms, you're infectious. Uh, mm-hmm. That makes it even scarier, it, especially yep. with the with the very high high death rate. Exactly. I think there's there's an incubation period from when symptoms show up to ten to twenty one days, anywhere in there. Two days. You're not contagious, so but you don't. You're not. You're never going to know that you've contracted it in two days. And it starts from day two until you either get well or die. That you're contagious. Now the other big, the the other troublesome part is the death rate is high, and people want to bury their. In this country, um, burials are a very big deal. You know, as they are for all of us, right? We want to lay our family to rest, and we want them to do it peacefully. And well, this is a big problem. About half the country is Muslim. And in the Muslim religion, you must bury the body of a person within 24 hours before the next sunset. I believe, I could be wrong, but I know it's in 24 hours of their death. So it's very important that these funerals happen. That's not happening, because it can't, because the bodies are contagious for a very long time. So they're burying people in mass graves to contain the Ebola. I mean, in mass graves, they're, you know, regulated and controlled, but... There, you don't get to take the body. You don't get to have a funeral. People can public gatherings right now are also not legal because this spreads too easy. So the whole process of death is not going. I, I mean, that's a mess. And so, how can anyone mourn? How can anyone be sad? And so you can understand the anger and that we're not doing this, and we don't trust the government, and we don't trust anyone, and you know that people who, you know, are largely uneducated and illiterate, and they're not stupid. Those aren't the same things. They just don't understand why these people are doing this. Why why is the government doing this to us? Maybe they're infecting us. Maybe they're doing it on purpose, and this is the mindset. And it it quickly goes, I mean, it, it goes to a very negative place very quickly when that level of understanding just isn't there. We're going to take a break. When we come back, more with Ann Norman. She uh, is a Cache Valley, uh, former Cache Valley resident, grew up in Paradise, went to Utah State University, got, I believe, a history degree, Ann Norman? Yes, I did, and with then, Norm Jones. With Norm Jones, yeah. Guy. Good Good shout-out to Norm Jones, great professor. Um, and uh, and then came back and worked uh, for Utah State University in uh, what public relations, marketing? Yeah, area. I was in the Hudson School of Business. Okay. Uh, and uh, now has her own communications company, Norman Communications. Uh, she has uh, gotten involved in Sierra Leone. She is a chairman of uh, a, uh, a nonprofit organization called Shine On Sierra Leone. We'll talk about uh, that organization. And uh, she is uh, heavily involved in Sierra Leone. She has been appointed to the presidential task force there. And she's involved in the education campaign to, to get the message out to people in rural areas in Sierra Leone to combat Ebola. She has uh, friends who have died, friends who remain in Sierra Leone. Very personal for, uh, for Ann Norman. We're going to continue talking about this and ask what can be done, what should be done, following a break. <laughs> 